This is the one with Tahira Tahira. A riffraff street rat who didn't buy that. Auricular fingering. Doc's sonic shimmy. And T-Bone's life is at stake. It's called Can You Hear Me? Here we go. We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek cyber zoo and wow. Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Happy New Year, podcast land! In brackets, in case I didn't say that in the bonus episode. Welcome to 2023 and yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When? A Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Past. Hark, is that an angel choir? Nay, it is Drew. I've already used this intro once before. Hello, Drew. <laughs> Hello, Leon. I've watched you stumbling around this podcast. Oh. Are you the chap with the scalp tattoo standing by the foot of my bed? Yeah, that's me. Oh, I thought I recognised you. This episode's all about me, (laughs) (laughs) 5.0. Finally, some recognition. We Eternals, we live for this. We wait millions of years for moments like this to come along. Oh, and are you not just an Eternal? Because that's right, podcast land. I, humble Leon, (laughs) humble mortal Leon, (laughs) have the privilege of gazing across my desk slash dinner table (laughs) at the eternal the timeless drew hello drew (laughs) (laughs) the timeless adult (laughs) hello podcast land happy new year and uh, we've got a bit of a doozy for you today podcast lands we do do we believe so yes we are reviewing can you hear me yes yes can you hear me Podcast gold! Hey, Jim, if you're listening, here's your friend who agrees with you. Did the same joke in Next Up on Who. What? <laughs> oh, Jim, you ledge. <laughs> this is an episode that I had completely forgotten about. Impossible. With the exception of the fingers. The fingers <laughs> were the only detail that I remembered. Everything else was a complete blank. Yeah, yeah. I see that. I remember the animation sequence. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Michael Ridgway also remembered Zelin with the freaky fingers because that's how he described him in his short story, which we acted out, Who Will Survive? So one of our reviewers tonight will have some, I hope, positive impressions. Oh, wait, which reviewer could that be? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so not very memorable. Not very memorable, but yeah, exactly. Not very memorable in this instance. Yeah. Which is normally a characteristic that I would attribute to an episode or serial that isn't necessarily very good. But you know what? Yeah, yeah. I think this is like 88 to 92% solid oh, for good. this era. Oh, thank you. I am so pleased. Mm. Yes. And I also <laughs> agree broadly on the percentages. Yeah. Oh, we're going to milk those 12 to oh. 8% for all their worth. I was going to say, I wonder which part of that equation we're going to be focusing on this <laughs> evening podcast lands. <laughs> well, well, actually, actually, before we, just before we nip in, mm-hmm. I feel like I was a bit unkind in our review of Praxius. We started talking oh, really? about Chris Chibnall specifically. How's this bozo ever going to get work? I feel like <laughs> some of the things I said were too personal. I want to be a bit nicer this year. I remember you saying that about some review. I can't remember which one, but some... Re- Maybe it was Praxius. Uh-huh. Was it Praxius that you introduced by saying, I'm going to be nice in this review? <laughs> no, really? Oh, well, this, this time I mean it. That's a, that's a pretty solid New Year's resolution. Right, well, 
let's take your new nice disposition out for a test drive, shall we? <laughs> yeah. What do you think this episode is about? Is there perhaps a way in which we could share this with Podcast Land? Why, there's a ready-made B-scow on my screen. Let's get to that. Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lerbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. When the 13th Doctor drops off her three companions, you had better believe she's just waiting for an excuse to pop off and pick up another one. One instantaneous excuse later, she finds herself in medieval Aleppo, recruiting an emotionally vulnerable local woman who's about to freak out when she sees the inside of the TARDIS. Meanwhile, back on Earth, the fam are all freaking out as well, as they're accosted by Zelen, a scalp-tattooed sadist with detachable fingers who creeps on people in their sleep and has a tendency to vanish in puffs of smoke. Doc won't stand for these shenanigans, however, and with her extended fam of four assembled, she sets about piecing together the mystery. Yaz has a backstory of unresolved guilt. Graham has visions of a woman in a space orb. Ryan's pal hasn't done the dishes. And the lady from Aleppo watched her carers get abducted by a monster. It can only mean one thing. And thus, she pilots the TARDIS to a space station orbiting the site of two planets on a collision course with one another for a millennia and something orb-shaped stuck in between them. Auricularity ensues. B-scow over. You are welcome. That bloody A-millennia mentioned <laughs> it. I looked it up in the transcript just in case. Uh-huh. Just in case. Uh-huh. Nope, it's in that. <laughs> and that was the doctor who said that. It was, yeah. No excuse. <laughs> and the showrunner was involved in writing this episode, yeah? Yep. This You're going to be nice. You're going to be nice. You're going to be nice. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. To be nice, even before you mention the opening question, I'm going to say my favourite part. Ooh, okay. Favourite part. New segment. It only took us nine years. (laughs) (laughs) About this show that we love. My favourite part was the shot of the kid scanning the dark bedroom in the night. You see the room from his eyes. It pans all the way to the left, all the way over to the window, and then back, and Zelen is standing right there with his gothic music cue of doom ready to go vroom. And he's <laughs> looming over the bed and he's like, actually, your mother was wrong. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that is such a good scene. Such a good reveal for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when he's standing in complete darkness, there's an aesthetic that is reminiscent of both Dark City and Hellraiser. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. Can't go wrong with those two. I have... A number of questions written down here, okay. including one about that particular scene. Oh, wow. I should say it's not the most appropriate of questions. You're only raising my curiosity levels. Okay, so here goes. When Zelin shows up in the kid's room yep. at night uh-huh. and he detaches his fingers, mm-hmm. one finger goes into his ear. Oh, what about the other four? <laughs> yeah. Why did he need so many? He should just be sending an index finger that kid's way. Absolutely, unless the kid has four siblings whom we are not introduced to. Who are in that same room. Yeah, yeah, because these these fingers, once they're detached, they seem pretty corporeal, so they can't just go through walls and find his mum somewhere elsewhere in another bedroom. Yeah, hmm, unresolved mystery. (laughs) Possibly to stop the kid screaming, the other four just plugged his mouth which is not a phrase i wanted to use but that's the best i've got (laughs) 
the mouth is the most innocent place they could have gone. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Thanks for that. Great first question. You're welcome. I've got an opening question. Let's hear it. Why would you only (laughs) imprison the more powerful and dangerous Eternal? And the second most powerful and dangerous Eternal, you grant them their liberty. Because why hold a grudge? This is a very good question. Mm. So, right. Okay. (laughs) In the animation sequence, it said that... The other one, Zelin, fled. That's true. But he is also just like... Okay, he's not as powerful as... What's her name, by the way? Ren... 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 Uh, Renaya. Zendaya. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's her name? Whatever. Yeah, no, he's, no, no. He's... no I got, I've written it down so many times. Rakaya. Re- uh, pretty close. Yeah. So... <laughs> Zendaya. Zendaya is clearly more powerful than he is. Mm. So we are told... But we never actually get to see how she is more powerful, right? She never actually does anything. Anything at all. She just absorbs some smoke. That's it. Yeah. And they both fear the exact same thing, that silly monster. The Chagaska. So one would assume that not only are they both equally as meek as evil gods go, they are also equally as omnipotent. Well, yes, they're on an eternal realm plane level whatever he can do anything he says when he introduces himself he he says well i'm enjoying being corporeal right now but i could i could manipulate matter i can i can manifest anything i like yeah atoms and molecules are his canvas do you know what planets that are on a collision course with each other are comprised of Mm, at an atomic or molecular level. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> huh, I guess I answered my own question. It feels like he didn't have to flee. Nor would she ever need... Like, uh, how is... Yeah, no, I don't get it. It's always going to be a difficult thing when you have something on this plane, an eternal, the Q, anything like that. Although now I've just said Q, I mean, Star Trek TNG managed to work around Q pretty well. They were always the best episodes, or up there. Certainly. So, yeah, Encounter at Far Point, maybe. Yeah, it's a bit of an iffy start, but still. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's less to do with Q and more to do with Giant being shagging. I've forgotten that. It's exactly the end of Time Heist. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? It is! <laughs> like, oh, they're, they're, they're actually giant beings and one is pining for its mate. And Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Lovely. <laughs> so apart from that, which was the first one, okay? Everybody gets one. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man rescues and this. Yeah. They knew how to handle an Eternal, so, so you can't give them too much leeway. It no, can that's be true. done. Yeah. Not done here. But I acknowledge that it is a, it's a tough problem. It needs some good writing. And you have posed a very, very good question. So good a question, in fact, that I would I, I, I am struggling. I cannot give you an answer. Yeah. And they don't go into it because, obviously, how would they do anything but incriminate themselves further? But my point is, if you're going to set up a pocketball prison for Eternals, you've got to catch them all. <laughs> all right. Can we talk about that particular backstory? Okay. The two planets. Yeah. So we've got two, two twin planets, whatever, two parallel planets... And all the two Eternals do is they say, we're going to try to make them eradicate each other. Yeah, we're going to mess with them. Yeah, we're going to mess with them. Well, it's not eradicate each other. It's which one can you bring to destruction first? Oh, sorry. So yeah. I think I think they're trying to turn but, them on themselves. On Fine. Okay. Are they at that point 
would you say that those are very advanced species, technologically, culturally, etc.? They certainly don't start off that way, but they get there, they construct that amazing station and the Pokeball prison. Okay, that is true. Yeah. Because my, my point was going to go, at, at what point does a species do two species in fact say yeah you know what we're gonna we're just gonna call it quits we're gonna destroy ourselves completely well at the point where they can say we'll destroy our two planets completely but now that we have mastered interplanetary travel obviously what we'll do is go and survive somewhere else we will leave a guard on the ship failing leaving a guard we will at the very least leave a note (laughs) to say don't open the prison in fact you know what Let's just hide the quantum lock technology. Wait, what is this station? Is this station not there to keep the prison in place? Yes, the station houses the quantum fluctuation lock. So isn't there just a switch? Oh, I see. So that's what Doc flips. Yeah, the unbreakable switch. She's like, I've got an app for that. That definitely falls in the 8% for me. Yeah, that's a bit. That was a bit naff. Okay. (sighs) Okay, hang on. I've got better questions. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Right. A matter of aesthetics, if you will. Okay, okay. Narrative aesthetics. This episode is called what? Can you hear me? Which are the first words answered as well. Oh, yeah. But that's entirely out of context. And later on, when we do get to hear Andaya speak to Graham, mm-hmm. wh- what does she say? Can you hear me? No. No? She says, can you see me? <laughs> Why? Why because... does she not say, can you hear me? That's the name of the flipping episodes. <laughs> Because if you were going to call the episode Can You See Me, then you'd have to poke everybody in the eyes. People would forever be reacting. I Just know- have her say, can you hear me? Yeah. Every time. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? You work up from there. Great. We've established you can hear me. Now I'm going to try and resolve the image in your mind. Because as we know, that requires a higher bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay. Pong yeah. my ping, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely focusing on those eight. Don't worry, we'll we'll get to some positive stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, what happens to the merchant who's shouting after Cafe Tarifa? I'll chop your hand off as she's <laughs> running through Aleppo back to the Bimaristan. Does he just be like, oh, well, closed door, nothing I can do about that. Yeah, Cafe Tarifa, just that, that name check <laughs> deserves an Oscar in itself. Although you um, do have to be from Oxford. To, to get, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's, that's a super good question. One of my questions is, what happened to everyone in Aleppo, including everyone in this mental institution, I believe? Yeah, yeah. They're all gone. Is there some anecdote about ancient Aleppo that I'm not aware of, in which, in one day, everyone disappeared. Oh, oh, you're talking about the whole city. The whole city. When Doc comes back, there's like literally one person cowering in a corner going, oh, I don't know what door handles are. You're going to show me a fucking TARDIS? Yeah. <laughs> I assumed it was just the mental hospital and it was just everyone that Tarifa knew. Okay. So no one has noticed that a gigantic monster beast has been running around killing Within everyone. this enclosed space, no. Okay, well, how about this then? There were lots of people in the mental hospital. Yeah. And the that's <laughs> probably not a good... In this psychiatric institution. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 there's nothing wrong with the term mental hospital. I just thought the only person to have noticed would be the merchant whose margins are getting better <laughs> because he's losing... Less. Yeah. <laughs> through... It all being stolen. People are happy that this has happened. (laughs) 
there'll be YouTube documentaries from Aleppo in 1380 where they're, you know, interviewing the man on the street and this dude who's selling his wares, he's like, oh, you know, those monsters are the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she says, what's her face? Tarifa. Tahira. Yeah, yeah. Tahira. Shakira. She says, Doc asks her, well, how many people are here? And she, she goes, well, they're, they're like 15 or 16 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But when we go to the space station, she only finds one person, her friend. Miriam. It's what happened to everyone else. I assume that they're just around the corner in other finger capsules. <laughs> but they're not rescued. So possibly not the population of Aleppo, but most of the carers and patients of this psychiatric institution in Aleppo ended up exploding in space. Does the station get exploded? Oh, no. No, because they end up just in space. At some point, lots of people who have no concept of science (laughs) wake up super refreshed with a finger in their ear, (laughs) a charred (laughs) finger in their ear, and just go, oh! (laughs) (laughs) By the way, whenever a finger was lodged in an ear or dislodged from an ear, the the sound effect, I got that as well. Every time, they never missed a single one. Always. <laughs> also, just the concept of having the fingers detached and then sticking it. The first time a finger goes into an ear, it, it was the most amazing thing. I was flummoxed. You never put your finger in your ear. It's great. I've it's never true. seen it on Doctor Who. It did seem like a really original thing. It really did. It felt like a, a really creepy, or almost David Lynchian yeah. thing to do. Yeah, Very it's, good. It's body horror. It absolutely is. And then the way that it darkens, it's not that it, I said charred before, it's not that it gets charred, it's more that it gets saturated with evil, like a cigarette filter. Like it just gets saturated yeah. with something gross. Yeah, full of it, tar and poison. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, mm. imagine sticking one of those in your mouth and lighting it up. Mm. Yum. Tasty. Yeah. I assumed that what happened was the merchant got to the door, by the way, from 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like when it slams in his face and his friend. Just says, forget it, Al Jakari. It's Aleppo. And then he's just like, oh, they turn around and Chinatown. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get that reference. <laughs> I thought I was Rick Perry get there for a moment. Do you remember when Rick Perry went, and what is a Aleppo? Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thanks, Rick Perry, for listening. Also, I had an issue with Shakira's justification for her actions she's like well you say that i should do this for my mental health i should go around stealing stuff because it makes me happy and Marion's like oh you scamp what a clever loophole you've found yeah. <laughs> or possibly she genuinely thinks oh yeah you're right that is therapeutically positive okay <laughs> i don't think so well i guess this is the 14th century they hadn't really worked <laughs> out psychoanalysis yet <laughs> uh, if that makes you happy <laughs> did i just put myself on the side of capitalism over mental health that's not what I'm standing for. Also, what does she steal? Oh, I assume an apple or some bread. Okay, which she has already eaten whilst running away from the merchants. The perfect crime. She's like, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> produce the evidence. He's uh, like, no, you, you sit down and you produce it. <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> I'm, I'm willing to wait all day. <laughs> and you know what? I can still sell it because this is the Chibber's era and you, you better polish that turd. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Oh, no, I don't find that funny anymore. Too far. <laughs> too far, too far, sorry. <laughs> Okay, can I ping your pong? Yeah, I didn't realise I was ponging. Talking about Shakira, how is she ever going to recover from this? Because she has been traumatised on top of having been traumatised, then shown a new world. She knows that she lives in what is 
in a sense, the past. She knows that, yeah, I experienced this as the present, but there are people ahead of me, so everything I do in life has already been predetermined. I know, like, I have no choice. Everything that I, that's happening will already have happened. Yeah. My life is meaningless, and also there are space aliens that I don't understand. I think that Tahira, in general, in almost every aspect, is the weak link of this episode. Interesting. Okay. In almost every way. The first 20 seconds... We learn more about her character than we get the whole rest the of the rest. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. At one point, she info dumps on the Doctor about her parents dying when she was seven. Which we don't need to know. Well, we don't need to know, because is that not the stuff of nightmares, rather than some made-up mythical beast? Exactly. Exa yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I think that that is a weakness that runs throughout the episode, she isn't freaked out by this artist. I'm not saying that because she's had bad things happen, she, would, she should necessarily be mentally vulnerable to the point where she's like, wow, this blows my mind away. But she doesn't really have any reaction at all. She's just like, wow, this is a big day. You are right. She has no reaction, which is in part why that's in the B-Scout, because she should have a reaction, but I don't necessarily feel that she should have a reaction because she's psychologically vulnerable. Okay. She should have a reaction because she's from 14th century Aleppo and she's shown space. She's yeah. put on a space station. She sees... Never mind, she sees monsters. She sees a dude detach his fingers. She gets l locked up in some weird thing. There are lots of blinking things. There are buttons. She doesn't know what buttons are, except if they hold together a tunic. Yeah. Like, she, she should not be able to... <laughs> process what's going on and in addition to that she is emotionally vulnerable and should not be able to process the inability to process what's just happened to her yeah and before all of those examples you've given you have the doctor whipping out her flip phone talking to people who aren't there yeah communing with the spirits is she talking to Jin? what's going on here yeah she just calmly watches it takes it in her stride i, I guess that she has had all these monsters appear and everything but it's one more thing on top of a very busy night. Yeah, and then she gets popped in the TARDIS and all the other f companions, the rest of the fam, they couldn't give a tinker's cuss about her. Like, they're just, they, don't, they do nothing. There is no interaction there. It's almost as though they resent her for being some sort of usurper. <laughs> Usurping their valuable time that they're going to have in this episode. Exactly. They're all after those few extra seconds to try and develop a character before they have to leave the show. Well, we're going to leave all the character development to after the ending of this this story. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> to come back to Shakira, though. Yes. This is something that Doctor is really inconsistent on, about treating people from different time periods strangely enough. As a weird quirk of fate, I've been working on the Routledge Medieval Encyclopedia Online this week. So I've actually been doing stuff about Melisende, Queen of Jerusalem. Oh, wow. Yeah, like... By the way, get her a serial or an episode. Oh, really? Big finish, like anyone. Like, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I know nothing about her. No, and history is so rich and so nuanced and so strange and weird. Why would you not use any of that? Why would you have her just sort of blankly accept the vast mental temporal distance between us? It, if I'd... Mm, there should be culture shock. In Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror, I think they actually did it quite well. Edison and Tesla, they were very much products of their time. Absolutely. And James I in The Witchfinders also. He also, yeah, he sprang to mind, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a singular figure from history and they really gave him the time to shine. And Shakira, none of it. 
None of it at all. And to be mere tourists in in a time period represented by nothing more than different clothing and a QI-sized titbit about the Bimaristan and Islamic physicians, to call it temporal colonization would be a bit far, but it's just like, oh, look at us, we're the normal ones, and them, well, we could explore them if we want, but otherwise they just got to accept us. Like, it's such a waste. Yes, I agree. It's also a waste because they don't use... If they are going to highlight that there are certain advancements in this particular society in the 14th century that perhaps anyone who isn't aware of them would never assume, wouldn't take for granted, would would assume, you know, people would assume that they are just more primitive mm-hmm. than than we are today. They have no understanding of psychology, for example. Yeah. That's the way that they're introduced here. They're introduced as the people who, wow, actually, they had made quite some advancements in psychology and psychiatry. Mm-hmm. This whole thing is about the mind. So why not take that understanding, that knowledge of psychology and psychiatry, and have that be the weapon, rather than just yeah. have her, oh, well, she's really aware of her imagination, so she can wield a monster? Yeah, also, Mariam, the... She's a professional! Yes, she runs the place. She is the only one in the ship who gets saved. Exactly. Give her some input. Yes, exactly. Have have their expertise, one as the practitioner and one as the person who has been experiencing this therapy of sorts, have that expertise be the thing that is the undoing of these Eternals, who look down on mere mortals and especially 14th century mere mortals as harmless. Yeah. And have at least Yaz, because Ryan's too busy being sassy to Graham somewhere else. Have Yaz show admiration and have her learn. Yeah. Like we are learning. The companions are standing in for us, so let Yaz do that for a few seconds. And then, well, she's got a bit of extra screen time. Although she does have some in this episode. She gets a backstory. She does get a backstory. Yeah. Do you uh, want to jump straight to the backstory? Shall we jump to all backstories? Let's yeah. talk backstories. Yeah. I say all backstories. We get two backstories. No, we get one backstory. <laughs> we get Bones' backstory-ish. Uh, he hasn't done any dishes. That's true. His flat is in a state. Yeah. And big flat, by the way. He lives by himself. He's got like a three-bed flat. Hmm. Yeah. Well done, T-Bone. I guess he used to host the FIFA tournaments for all his mates. Maybe some flatmates moved out. Yeah. What happened to all the mates? He only goes is, further up. Is T-Bone entirely by himself as well? Like, does he have no friends? Well, Ryan was his best friend. He and Ryan used to go play basketball together. Yeah. With other people on a team. Yeah. Well, I guess they're all busy. People start having kids. T-Bone's... That's true. ...resolutely single. Perhaps because... It's all interacting with his loneliness. and that, uh, Yeah, that's very... Yeah. He's possible. lost his wingman. His wingman's off all around the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan goes up to people in clubs and say, hey, I've got dyspraxia. This is my mate. And that's his line. Without <laughs> him, T-Bone is nothing. That's a pretty decent <laughs> pickup line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Are we talking about T-Bone's backstory here? Is that where we're starting? No, let's talk about the two real ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's jump to Yaz. Yes. Yaz has... At some point in her youth, three years before, or not, maybe not three years before. I think it is. It says three years earlier in big block capitals oh, it is on the three screen. Years before. All right. Yep. So, three so she would have been about 17. Right. She ran away from home. Mm. Her sister calls the fuzz and goes, yeah, Yaz is somewhere. Yeah. She's she's made it as far as Tutmore. <laughs> she's up on Tutmore. <laughs> And a, a police officer shows up 
talks her into returning and maybe giving being a policewoman a go. Yeah, I love that whole scene. I also love that whole scene. I'm not trying to dwell on the negative here, but there are a couple of things that are kind of missing for me, and I don't know if we ever revisit this backstory because I want to revisit it. It is interesting. I thought it was compelling. (laughs) We revisit this backstory coming later this year, Podcast Land. (laughs) Yaz shows up 77 minutes late. Oh, yes. Has missed her parents, sees her sis. Sonia. Sonia. This marks the anniversary of that one event. It effectively is the anniversary of her returning, right? That's kind of what what they're there for. Yeah. So she's now missed this with her folks, meaning her folks, on the anniversary of their daughter having run away, don't have their daughter around. (laughs) Imagine Mm -hmm. how this feels for them. It it, it seems like there's a a gap in this entire event, this family event. I can see why they might leave it, because Yaz expresses to Sonia... Why do we still do this? This is before we even know what it is. Because you don't know when they first meet, whether it's to do with Sonia, to do with Yaz, who's, what really is an issue here? And Yaz seems to say, it's a bit silly we're still doing this, isn't it? Like maybe on year one, it was nice to remember year two. She's like, I'd rather forget this, if I'm honest. I've joined the police. I sort of want to move on. The family are like, yeah, but but it's nice. You came back and we love you, blah, blah, blah. And then year three... I think it's actually a horrible thing to mark. It's a dreadful thing to highlight, hey, let's sit down and have a meal because do you remember that time that you gave up on us and on life and you ran away? Hey, it turned out fine. That's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating it turned out fine. She returned to the fold. They presumably had some difficult conversations. Not all of them because you never can. But they would have bonded and grown closer after that event. That was as bad as it got and it got better from there. Mm. And Sonia actually did something nice for Yaz, which seems yeah, to be did. a surprisingly rare event. That is... Sure, yeah, But that's you're right, true. It, is, it is slightly odd. As a family event, I find it untherapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> but fine. If, it depends if what you what... make of it, doesn't it? If, if they're like... It's a way, it might even be a way of checking in. Like, Yaz, are you fine? Like, we do still love you. Don't run away again. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Quit reminding me that I, at one point, found complete conviction in the prospect (laughs) of leaving you guys. We just want to make sure that it's not dwelling on your mind that you ran away. Right. (laughs) We don't want you thinking about it too much. Right. Mm. No, that makes sense. (laughs) Anyway, I agree with you. I really liked this sequence. I like that we get this backstory. I would like to know more about it. I would like them to show why she ran away, what happened, what's, you know, what, what's what's going on inside of her? What 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 is that all about? I assume that Izzy Flint was a massive racist and turned her class against her, made her life a living hell, was there in all her classes, to and from school. That's all it needs to be. Ugh. It doesn't need to be anything epic or monumental, just a bitch your own age, just persecuting you. I suppose that is actually a fair point. Ultimately, I'm I'm agreeing with you because I liked this backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought the policewoman did a really good job. She was played by Nazarene Hussain. She's been in Doctors. She's played Morecambe Doctor in Cold Feet and a Doctor in Emmerdale. Oh. So good job, Nazarene. <laughs> liked you in the three years earlier part and in the present day part where Yaz comes up and they say her name together. Yasmin Khan, I flipping do remember you. It's... That's really nice. It is a, it's a lovely scene. It's a heart warmer. Yeah. And Yaz brings out the 50p and she invites her in for tea. Yeah, they go in there. Yeah. Yeah, we're smiling podcast. Absolutely. Just thinking about it. I'm also partly smiling because there's a joke I don't want to make. Anyway. (laughs) um... (laughs) Goodness sake. (laughs) 
I have a note which is that the scene between Yaz and Sonya was the best of the companion material that we got when we went one, two, three at that point in the episode. Because they've had their tensions and they're always ragging on each other when they meet otherwise. But here, Sonya is more subdued and sadder, not just because it's this anniversary of a sad day, but because she hasn't seen Yaz for months. Like, absence is making the heart grow fonder. There's affection there. And that's what rises to the top. Yeah. And all of that gets played very nicely and neatly and quickly. 100% with you. They feel like sisters. Yes! Absolutely. absolutely. Goodness. I'm thinking of the Suranga conundrum. Do you remember those siblings? Oh, my goodness. Bro, sis, sis bro. (laughs) Goodness sake. Here, they've nailed it. I assume that it must be Charlene James's doing, co-wrote with Chris Chibnall. Yes, that's right. This episode that was broadcast on the 9th of February 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is an, an outside influence, if you will. Mm, Adding yeah. something very positive, definitely. Sonia shows up in, uh, what's it called, Spiders in Sheffield? Arachnids in the UK. Yeah, and I don't remember this kind of chemistry rapport being present than either. They were spiky and inimical back then. Maybe they were younger. A little bit. Yeah. Well, Sonia may have been younger. Maybe they've shifted a little bit in time. You know? Oh, well, surely Yaz would have been the younger. Oh, young, no, one. you're right. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And at that point, Yaz has never really moved out. It's like Yaz has moved out. You, you, you grow closer with your siblings when they're at a nice, comfortable distance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> So shall we move on to the next? Are we talking uh, Are we talking Ryan or are we talking Graham? Graham's the one with the backstory. Wait, what's the backstory with Graham? Oh, I'm thinking of the nightmare where there's no logic to his cancer checkup with Grace. Oh, right, yeah. Grace it, is there, doesn't really recognise him. Yeah, she calls him Mr. O'Brien in a very hostile tone. It's like she doesn't know him and that's the worst thing it could be until she does know him and knows that he didn't save her, because the only causality in this nightmare is what makes things worse. How can this trend to the absolute bottom of your soul? And also, she was his nurse at the beginning, but this is him having relapsed. So she should remember him from that last time, if anything. Yeah, so it maximises the horror. Yeah. It just plays with it all so nicely. I loved all the nightmare sequences, and I loved the, the smoky wipes. Oh, the, the effects in this episode are off the chain. They're so good. Mm. They're, they're spectacular. Just returning to that particular nightmare, yeah. Graham is immense. He's mm. so good. Yeah. Oh, Bradley. Bradley Walsh. Brad. Willie <laughs> is amazing. Such an actor. Yeah. In that nightmare sequence, this isn't the backstory. I'm now struggling to think if he like really has a gets a backstory in a sense. Not really. He gets just, a social context. Yeah, he, he plays cards with his bus driver mates. Right, that's right, yeah. yeah. But he, he shows, actually in that scene as well, when he is either saddened or confused, he, he just the mimicry is so convincing. Mm. Really, really, on a, on, a, on a different level to Ryan, for example, or Ryan's mate. Oh, I thought T-Bone did okay. Better than Ryan, I will give you. I'll say that, definitely. Ryan was only palatable when he was doing a bit. Like, yo, I got chips, though. That was, that was the one point where I, you know, my smile twitched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I thought Ryan was just Ryan in this one. He did nothing for me. His mate, you're actually right. His mate, whose name I've forgotten, T-Bone. <laughs> T-Bow. 
Tebow. Actually. <laughs> he he <laughs> he was actually good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed real. Yeah. Which given the side characters of the week we've had lately, no small feat. <laughs> yeah. His therapy session at the end or oh. therapy, if if that's what you want to call it, is that therapy or is that him with actually his friends and his dad maybe? I don't think so. I think it is some sort of talking therapy group. Oh, you think so? Yeah. So I found him very very nice in that scene. I thought I thought he was good. Despite the lameness of the Yeah. Oh no self checkout story. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I, I still think he, he pulled it off. You exceeded the script, T Bone. <laughs> well done. You know what though? Everything that comes after the ending of the episode pisses me off. As in the ending of the episode where the Eternals are bested. Yeah. Okay. And the reason for that is that this is a this is a different conversation. This has nothing to do with backstory or anything like that. So we could maybe put a pin in that if you, if you like, if you want to wrap up backstories first. If yeah, let's anything. wrap up the backstories. Come let's, on. Let's do that. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, I think we've got Ryan left. Have we got Ryan left? Have we got Graham left? What have we got left? Talk about it. Well, including the nightmares in the backstories. I loved all the nightmares. I liked Ryan's world is burning and looking at ancient, ancient aged Tebow being like, yeah, you clicked your way through our lives. You, you, we're all, this is what, 2070? It's us and the dregs now around the campfire yeah. sharing war stories. <laughs> and you swan back in, still with the porcelain skin of a 22-year-old angel. Like, screw you, buddy. Does this episode posit that the dregs happen in 20... Well, in Tebow's lifetime? That's all part of the nightmare. No, I suppose, it's, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. no okay, you know what? I'm not going to nitpick. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just... <laughs> It's just the most horrific tricks your mind can play. Is that the same actor with old person makeup? Or is that an old person, older person, sorry, who has been exceptionally well cast and is then overdubbed by Tebow? That is such a good question. I do not know. Because I thought at first that it was the latter. And in my notes, I've added fantastic casting. Because the chap looks exactly like him, but so convincingly older. <laughs> but Are we looking then... this up? Are we looking? Well, uh, I'm yeah. looking it up. I'm looking it up. There was a five-minute behind-the-scenes video on this episode, by the way. Oh, really? And it really left me pining for Doctor Who Confidential of old, or Doctor Who Extra, even. Mm. It was just Chibbers and Jody explaining, for the most part, hooking up Graham into the telepathic circuits of the TARDIS, explaining what telepathy was three or four times. You know, that old Chibbers trope of make this as obvious as possible for the slowest child in the room. And that's pretty much the video. That and I learnt that they call Bradley Walsh Brad was all I got from it. It's a different actor. Is it? Oh, yeah. well done. It's a different actor. The flickering flames obscured him a bit, maybe. Here are some of the roles he's played in his career. I'm on his IMDb page. His name is Willie Joan. Thank you for listening. He played old Tebow in Doctor Who. He played old man in The Day of the Triffids. He played old man in Bozeman and Lena. He played old uncle in The Secret Laughter of Women. <laughs> <laughs> right? That is one unlucky old man. He keeps lurching from one disaster to another. When's he going to catch a break? I've now gone through the whole list. There isn't another old. I wonder, hang on, is there a way to look up his biography? If it says like, oh, father of or uncle of or something, then that would be amazing. But no, no, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, anyway. Did we ever do an IMDb career resume for the guy who plays Tebow? Because he appeared at the beginning of the series. Do you mean Wom Tingang? I do. Go ahead. I've just opened his page. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, he's in he's oh he's in Karen Piri. I forgot that he's in Karen Piri. What's Karen Piri? 
Is she a relative of Amy Pond? Karen Perry is a TV adaptation of novel, or maybe the first in a series of novels by Val McDermott. Oh, yes, the ITV detective show. I really enjoyed it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh. Um, yeah, Karen Perry. I'm reading a Val McDermott right now. Hmm. Thanks for listening, Val. What has Tingang been in? Well, Karen Perry, Doctor Who, and ten other credits. I've never seen any of them, so... He was in Endeavour, which is filmed right here in Oxford. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good for him. That's right. Well, good job, Blom. Absolutely. Really liked you in this episode. Ryan, eh. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) He did at least notice that his best friend was acting slightly weird and his flat was a bit dirtier than usual. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) But he didn't notice until he thrashed him at FIFA. And I was like, yeah, in your face, still got it. Yeah, I'm still the best. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, takes out his dick. There's a helicopter. Still longer. <laughs> <laughs> it's because of the twirling. <laughs> Centrifugal. <laughs> oh, fuck, that's weird. <laughs> Two minds, one podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, all right. <laughs> That's got me sweating. Are we done with yep, Companions of Max Pin time. Right. So here's the thing. This this is my main beef with the story as as far as narrative structure goes. Okay. It is unbalanced. The story story crescendos when there's a twist in it, namely, oh wow, this woman in the sphere prison, whatever, isn't some innocent who's being tortured. She's actually another big bad. Yes. This should set up another act, but instead it just happens and ends. It immediately ends. Ah. They just show up, they give a couple of you know, fingers a child, and then... Well, uh, they give the doctor the finger, and then fuck off. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they give doc the finger, then they finger a boy, <laughs> and then some woman from the 14th century conjures up a dinosaur that yeah. apparently scares them, even though they know it's fake. Yeah, with no input from her mental health supervisor or whatever you'd like to call her yeah none at all none she at just learnt how to control her fears because turns out that's really simple and can be done well before the episode's due to end yeah but point is that happens instantaneously like that we don't get to enjoy that act mm. that act takes i don't think this is an exaggeration five minutes at most yeah out of a 45 or 50 minute episode and then the rest is extended coda yeah it's a solid i don't know 12 15 minutes of just let's uh, that's probably too much it's Ten nine minutes. minutes nine you timed it yeah. you son of a bitch yeah. it's nine minutes which is a solid 10 minutes give or take a minute of just nothing related to that crescendo and that takes me out of it entirely Ah, uh, see i was more willing to forgive it because it had all been set up it was a lot of bookends to yep. stuff earlier in the episode so it did belong there I think what what we could have had okay. is retro rewrite suggestion. Act three starts up. We now know that they're on Earth. They're giving people nightmares. Everyone is just feeling on edge. They're feeling bad. They they don't sleep well. They're really sad. They're they're frightened. Now is the occasion when Yaz, for example, speaks with her sister under those circumstances, and together under those circumstances, they somehow bond and they help each other through that trauma okay similarly we get graham and his buddies maybe he sits them down for another game of cards just like listen don't worry i know you're worried but we're here together let me try this again best dealer in sheffield 
Yeah, yeah. And we just got just got to keep ourselves awake. We are going to play best of forty nine. Well, <laughs> well, it's not necessarily a matter of like we're going to keep ourselves awake. Oh, it's, it's not a, a nightmare on Elm Street scenario. No, because they're awake, and once they get a finger in their ear, then they're asleep. So it's not a matter oh, of that. Yeah, it's of it's more a case of holy shit, life is now like this is Hellraiser on Earth. Like the life on Earth is really it's getting worse and worse for whatever reason. People are on edge, right? Because this evil pair of gods is suddenly here yeah. and they're just giving everyone nightmares constantly so everyone is living in fear but under those circumstances is how we start to wrap up all of those threads so right. that's how we learn about yaz's backstory proper except for the very last bit except for when she rings the doorbell and gives the 50p so we get everything else but under those circumstances and it's really really tough then they beat the pair of gods in yes. a different way. And well, uh, then she just gives a 50p and Graham just manages to figure it out. And Ryan just manages to realize that, you know what? I'm probably going to leave the show pretty soon. And <laughs> yeah. we give Shakira some sort of exit as well with her therapist. They sit down. Shakira probably says, that was, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And her therapist says, let me help you. Here's how I can contribute with my expertise. And that's how it ends. So that Coda is only a two minute sequence, one you, to two minutes. And I think it. you can shorten that sequence even further by having Mariam and Shakira work through her fears, somehow figure out how the Chagaska or whatever is a substitution however weird because it's fantastical rather than having to deal with the brutal human reality of just her parents dying like well, she's thought up this mythical thing in its place well maybe when she was a kid her parents her parents died or they just left or whatever it might be yeah. for some reason she got separated and she convinced herself that they were taken by the chagaska that's yeah. how it is the manifestation of that childhood trauma yeah maybe the parents used to tell them tell her bedtime stories or something with a monster in. bingo that's exactly and we so need that, a she needs a flashback yeah and so that's how they get related and how one comes to stand for the other and mariam can unpack all of that and then i thought the final showdown i had to watch it twice because it is so fast it is so rushed yeah. but it does technically all kind of work you put the fingers in the god's ears assuming eternal sleep but okay let's assume maybe they may because atoms and molecules need a break and that all fits together but just to have her turn up at the end of the line of avengers and be like yes i've gained this new superpower of being master instead of mastered in relation to this completely unexplained boogan yeah back it up build it up in the way you've said and with a slight supplement yeah i'm a bajillion percent on board don't mind a story being imbalanced necessarily because sometimes you can play with the expected structure of a story to get a different reaction out of the audience. But the only reaction of having it resolved so abruptly is disappointment, surely. Yeah. Or, or yes, underwhelming. That's why, that's why I was disappointed. Yeah. That's not the act three that I was expecting. In fact, when the ending of the story proper had already happened and we get... I think possibly we start with Ryan's pal. I think maybe that's the first thing to be resolved at the end. Okay. And we spend a good long time on this ancillary character. He did very well, but we didn't need that for the episode. Well, While that was um, happening... Pin. Fine. While that was happening, I assumed, well, surely the episode's going to be done now. Like, that is it. 
and I wrote down why do we never get to find out what the deal was with Yaz's backstory? Because I assumed that it would end there. Oh, yeah. And then several minutes later, we do get to find out what happened with Yaz's backstory. That's not... That cannot be indicative of good story structure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You dropped a pin. I dropped a pin because this episode is explicitly about mental health. In series 11... Yeah, grief was to the front and taken seriously and here it's mental health this era of the show while it can be nasty and careless in some of its action it's trying to be useful it has good intentions it has a big heart i agree and so i was glad to see tebow go and get the therapy he needed and i'm sure at the end of the show as the credits rolled there would have been a message on the screen being like, if you've been affected by any of the issues in this episode, here are some resources you can go there to. There was. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm grateful for that. But, yeah, like you say, you, you could put it in a more expected, better, more balanced structure, definitely. What? I mean, yes. In, I feel like we've probably already talked about this, but in essence... Yes, you can do it in a better way, and that is to not describe therapy as a superpower involving talent monsters. Oh, I think I just did that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. But, but At okay. least they didn't start punching the Eternals. No, but it it's just effectively that. Fight. This right. is not affiliated with the Marvel's Eternals, by the way. But... <laughs> It is effective. That's that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Instead of it being Iron Man, who uses his genius to figure out whatever, it's Thor, who just has magical powers. That's all she does in this. All she does is wield a monster. Like a weapon, yeah. Yeah, but what she should do is understand what that monster represents. She should process it for herself, and that should allow her to manipulate the dynamics in, in her relationship, in her rapport with these two people who have been abusing her since the start of the episode. That's what we're missing. Mm -hmm. Therapy. Anyway, I feel like we're saying the same thing, just from two different angles. How about more bullet points? I liked how humans were distinguished in this episode. Like, why is it that humans get all this interest from the rest of the universe? And I liked the idea of it being because we carry around all this pain and we feel so much and all this fear and doubt. It just creates this huge psychic excess that an eternal is occasionally attracted to and might somehow motivate us to because of our rampant insecurities spread an empire across the stars during the rest of the humanian era or whatever doctor who chooses to call it <laughs> yeah yeah why are we special maybe it's because of something really really dark and disturbing and i like that they went there i agree yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be contrasted with, oh, much better than when we absorbed the nightmares of those Glondarks or when we went to, you know, wherever, uh -huh. Gnarflex Beta. It, <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, it's very nicely dealt with here. It really is. I agree. I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up. And I probably like it as much as I do because of Ian Gelder's delivery as Zelin. Yeah. Zelin looks like he loves being Zelin. And Ian Gelder <laughs> looks like he loves playing Zelin, loving being Zelin. He's so classy. I could listen to him be evil and malignant and all of that all day. I looked him up on IMDb and I didn't 
I didn't see tons of stuff that I recognized him from. He was he was in Game of Thrones. He was in an episode of Poirot. I saw that. Yes. Oh wait, was he also in Torchwood? He was Mister Decker in Torchwood. That's Children right, of yes. Earth. That's right. Yeah. That's a Torchwood series I've never mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> never ever. <laughs> He has another Doctor Who connection. Oh, really? He was the voice of the remnants, the scraps of parchment in the ghost monument. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Oh, I thought he sounded familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was in The Underdog playing Victor Astwell in Poirot. I, I did actually look that up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was in King Ralph. So classy. Uh, what a dude that's, what the, that's the full gamut yeah <laughs> i believe the scale goes from king ralph to poirot so <laughs> <laughs> but when only he could deliver lines like your fears my creativity it's just i just love it I'm, your mother was wrong <laughs> or whatever he says yeah, <laughs> yeah in fact i might just adopt that as my regular voice from now on <laughs> if you object podcast land Write in. Yeah, or, or tweet at us. <laughs> uh, tweet at Drew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was fantastic. Mm-mm. And his character is very interesting. He is an eternal, as is his friend Zendaya. And he name-checks a few other eternals we've encountered on Doctor Who. Oh, yes. He, he name-checks the Guardians. We've encountered the White and the Black Guardian. Yeah. And he name-checks someone who will be showing up very soon again on Doctor Who, the Toymaker. Uh-huh. Yeah. Weirdly, someone I talked about only yesterday as a character, and about the Eternals and the Guardians and everything. It's it, it's very nice. This feels like such such a solid nod to classic Who. Mm-hmm. Really. They don't milk it for everything that it's worth. They just place it there. The people who know, the people who recognize it, they do so, they get a little stiff, and <laughs> everyone who doesn't just kind of buys into it. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah, it was very well pitched. I really like the scene of Zelin versus the Doc as well. He was a worthy foe. He was talking about how Eternals need games. It's the same scene where he mentions the toy maker you've just yeah. talked about. Yeah. Well, and and Zelin calls her so much lesser. <laughs> he was so superior in that scene. I was just like, oh, this is thrilling. I, w- I want to see someone who's so far superior to the Doctor, and I want it to not be glib and easy when he gets defeated. Yeah. And, uh, that's why that's and so then unfortunately, yeah. this is it. Act three, letdown. Mm. It's that's a pity. That's a pity. Yeah. And okay, they did always treat him the same way. Like he, they zoomed in on him a lot. They had a lot of extreme close-ups every time he was there. But that's exactly the gothic atmosphere I'm here for. Mm. One million percent agree. Mm. Mm. What you got? I've got one introductory question, which kind of pertains to Zelen in a sense, and that is: Do you remember? I had to look him up, and I have also, by the way, I've seen that. At least one of our listener mini contributors has mentioned this person as well. I had to look this this chap up. The Dream Lord. Do you remember Toby Jones played the Dream Lord? Yeah. Similar conceptually. So, oh yes. Okay. And but internal from within the Doctor. Yes, exactly. Came from within the Doctor, but is then also able to manipulate other other, other beings. Yeah. Oh, super creepy. Yeah. I was in here all along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better, worse, comparable at all? I remember that was Amy's choice, wasn't it? It was. I remember we didn't give that episode top, top marks, but I think it was because we wanted the Dream Lord to 
be more or do more. I don't think Toby Jones ever disappointed for one moment he was on screen. I don't think he's ever disappointed in his career. <laughs> no. Except in that one thing with Seth Rogen and what's his face? What? Toby Jones and Seth Rogen. Yeah, I think Toby Jones is in something with Seth Rogen and James Franco and anything with James Franco at this point I don't want to see. Huh. Anyway, I'm going to I'm looking up Amy's choice on who back when. I want to see what we gave it. Oh, okay. You gave it 3.6. Yep. Marie gave it 3.6. Jim gave it 3.8. I gave it (laughs) 3.8. Right. (laughs) But I think Toby Jones, Dream Lord, you hear that and you think, oh, four, four and up. Yeah. That sounds amazing. That episode is going to stand out and it didn't quite make it into the top tier. Yeah. Yep, I can't true. remember why, but listen back to our review of Amy's Choice, Podcast Land. I'm going to listen back to our review of Amy's, <laughs> Amy's Choice after this. <laughs> I will have said it in that episode. I just love all the dream sequences and the distortions of reality. I probably mentioned House back then. Those were always my favorite <laughs> episodes of House when he was in some drug-addled haze. Usually the last double header of the series. Yeah, couldn't wait. Love it every time. <laughs> Is Zelin better or worse than Dream Lord? I don't know. That's difficult. I feel like the Dream Lord gets to do more. He gets to wield his influence on people's subconscious in a perhaps more interesting way. Zelin does not get that kind of exposure. But the portrayal of Zelin is perhaps a little more sinister. That's the word I've been looking for. Sinister. Yes, they both share that, but they dial it up to 374 with Zelin. It's... Oh, it's good. Mm. It's very good. And maybe it it does distract me from how limited in action he kind of was. He does a couple of things, and he's so proud, and he puts the doctor well and truly in her place. But he doesn't actually sort of do that much, does he? He walks around, he darkens every room he's in. It's sort of the same thing over and over. Yeah. Oh, but I enjoyed it every it works, time. Though. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hellraiser... <laughs> I've only seen the first one, but I'm going to assume that Hellraiser 3 is just more of Hellraiser 2. (laughs) (laughs) More Raising Hell. (laughs) I also liked Rakaia. She had even less to do, to be fair. Really, yeah. And she can act, by the way. I looked her up on IMDb. She is the lead in Children of Men. She's the lead? She is the woman who is pregnant in Children of Men. Oh, that's why she's called Eve in it or something. Claire Hope Asherty. That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She managed to, well, she made a very good black silhouette walking down the street in Sheffield mm-hmm. or whatever, arms outstretched, absorbing all that smoke. But yeah. yeah, that really was sort of it, wasn't it? And standing around, a lot of big talk. Yeah. We don't get to see her do anything really evil. If we get to see, mm. uh, what's his face, Zelen be even just mean. <laughs> And she should best him in this category. Yeah. I want to know why the Oscar goes to her. Mm. So I want to know what makes her worse. Yeah. And she's never given an opportunity to showcase that. Where will she go that even Zelen is like, oh. Oh, I, the, exactly. Not, not necessarily Zelen going, oh, I wouldn't eat. That's bad. I wouldn't do that. But I want to see a scene where Zelen goes, oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, yeah. I wish I'd thought of that. Yeah. Even I'm not that nasty. Exactly. What? Six fingers? <laughs> <laughs> Tans, we're looking at you. Yeah. Do you want to talk doctor at all? I thought she was good. With yeah. one exception. Oh, okay. I'll save the exception for later. Oh, okay. I thought she was... From the get-go, I really enjoyed her. Mm-hmm. She was 
very doctory. Her, she still had a few of those annoying mannerisms, mannerisms that annoy me, subjectively, Whoa! subjectively. Whoa, it's something on a screen. Whoa, Whoa! it's something bigger on a screen. <laughs> <laughs> Jody, how did you get in here? <laughs> but she was still, she was good. Yeah. I really enjoyed her in this. Maintenance, correspondence, correspondence about maintenance. Yeah. She, <laughs> she also has some, she has some solid lines and some, hang on, I made a note of a couple of them. Yeah. Okay. I think this might be it. I think I've only written down one, but there were several. She puts the helmets on Graham. Graham goes, is this going to hurt? And she goes, no, probably not. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've had that a lot from her. I liked it, though. I thought it was really good. She she was... We had that last week, just a variation on it. Oh, really? She's like, I meant to tell you when she's jabbed the astronaut with the giant needle or whatever it is. That's why it sounded familiar. You're right. Yeah. Oh. And she's had this same sort of escalation of, no, probably not. Actually, yeah, it's going to be the worst thing you've ever experienced. Okay, let's yeah. just move oh, past that. Dick burglars. You're absolutely right. Yes, sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. Still, I thought she did a good job in it. But you're you're yeah. right. It is less it is less original and thereby probably a Chibber's line. <laughs> As <laughs> yeah, in, he's right, probably right. copying himself is what I mean. Yeah. You know, he's, yep. he's gone, hey, that worked back then. Let's do it again. Yep. But it's, the last time. But it may be, if she does the same kind of shtick repeatedly, then that becomes a shtick of hers yes and that is a legitimate thing uh, characters have mannerisms they have things that they use sort of crutches that they rely on yeah that's how they're identifiable and this might be one of hers yeah. and i really liked it here and uh, there was another which was her monologuing to her companions when they weren't even there and she was just completely oblivious yeah <laughs> just loves the sound of her own voice are humans around oh i'll tell them again later i dislike that is that the thing? Until, no. Oh, oh. Until she said something like, until she started acting as though they were around her. Because my assumption was, is this really the best way that the writers feel that we can gain exposition? Yeah. We have her just speaking out loud to no one. That is shoddy. But then she buttons that by talking to her companions and realizing that they're not there. And that way, retrospectively, she kind of redeems herself for that scene, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's ni nicely done. Nicely done. Here's the thing I didn't like. All right. Do, do you want to say some things you liked first? I don't want to change. It. I, I don't want to spoil the mood. I don't want to say anything that's too negative. I lie. I will. Helping hand. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. It was good. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Go on then. You've given us fair warning. What is it? Okay. Did you buy her social awkwardness at the end with Graham at all? Thank you for bringing this up. I think I have defended this on a previous, I don't know, series 12 recap. summary. Or, yeah, recap or something. It genuinely did. I'm sure you're right because it seemed like something we had had a conversation about yeah. at some point. But I have flipped the other way entirely. It's terrible. It is awful. Graham is describing a fear that millions of people live with. Yeah. And he's opened up. He's been brave. He's made himself vulnerable. These are apparently all the lessons the episode is trying to teach us. And the doctor does not live up to her name. She said she'll think of something she should have said that might have been helpful. And so I was waiting for that. Exactly. And it never came. And Graham's just sort of left to mope. And, well, he's left to mope, but his reaction is not one of moping. His reaction is one to sort of chuckle at her foibles and go, I'm glad we had this chat. No, yeah. no, Graham. You should be really disappointed in your friend's utter lack of desire to be there for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I defended it originally because... 
it's impossible to know the exact correct words to say to someone in situation. The important thing is that you listen and you make them know that they've been heard. And I thought that this sufficed to do that to an extent. But no, she promises something that she then doesn't deliver. It seems like a really lazy take on what Capaldi does on a few occasions, where he doesn't understand human interaction and he relies on his companion to give him cue cards or to just understand that he's too alien to fathom certain social situations. Yeah, yeah. This entire scene feels like a really lazy placeholder. And it's probably unfair to blame Whittaker for this. I don't think she does a good job of acting that placeholder out, but it's not predominantly a responsibility of hers. This is in the script. Well, I think she kind of does a good job of acting this out because the the Doctor, in this instance, is awkward, doesn't have all the answers, is not supposed to be charming in this scene, because she isn't. So I think Do you not it, think that's what Chibbers wanted? For her to be charming? Yeah. Like, oh, what a quirky character. She doesn't get whatever. What, empathy? Yeah, I think that would have been false in another way. If she'd just been all self-congratulatory and be like, yeah, did a good job here, and that was written on her face and she was really pleased with herself, like, I would be more angry. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That is a shame. It does very much undercut most of what we've seen. (laughs) Right, it does. It does. Oh, dear. I have a note about, we talked about Yaz and the Copper. Yeah. I talked about how the whole scene sings, the complexity of their interaction, the resistance from Yaz, the police training kicking in from the older woman, also her wisdom of experience, the emotional insights she brings to bear. Yaz beginning to listen, but not just surrendering because she's so caught up in it. The only thing I thought could have been improved is if she turned up in police uniform at the woman's house and be like, look at me now. You inspired me. You were my yeah. role model. Yeah. Would that not have made her so happy? It would have. Yes. Yes. Why did they do that? She's not a plain clothes policewoman. She's not a detective. <laughs> she's in uniform. Why is she not wearing? You're right. Dag nabbits. Doesn't that seem the most obvious option? It absolutely does. <laughs> this is a, an era without like sheriff's badges. <laughs> it's either <laughs> she wears a uniform or she goes, hey, I brought you something and it's it's just her badge. It's a warrant for her arrest. <laughs> You've been been stalking hitchhikers. (laughs) (laughs) And giving them police funds illegally. (laughs) It's being taken in for corruption and embezzlement. (laughs) Three years ago, you told me that your salary was rubbish. How can you afford to live here? (laughs) Here's Uh, my Christmas bonus. (laughs) 50p, that's about right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're right. That's a that's a solid rewrite as well. Dagnabbit. Mm. That, it's that ending. That ending can eat my entire ass. Everything <laughs> up until that, those it, four or five endings. Doesn't. Yes, you're right. Yeah. The, this, the this Return put, of the King series of say, endings. Yes, I was going to say this puts Return of the King to shame. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another missed opportunity, Ooh. which is one that we've been tracking. Oh. Which is Yaz's feelings for the Doctor, which still completely absent. Yeah, because this writer, or this writer, it was co-written by Chippers. Yeah, at the time of writing this, they had no plans for that. We discussed in an excerpted segment last week how the couple, who had their nice romantic arc and got back together, Yaz saw nothing of their love. Yaz reflected nothing of their love, gave no indication that she had similar feelings for the Doctor. So there's that, and here, she tells Tahira <laughs> the Doctor's basically the definition of impossible. And I thought, oh, if they're savvy, this will be where they give her a long look at the Doctor 
and she realizes something and the audience can see that yeah. and that just isn't there at all even just some some greater sense of admiration yeah or or a different tone to her voice yeah she says it in exactly the same tone she she's basically doing the standard thing of telling the person who's just met the doctor the doctor is amazing yeah there's nothing more to it than that yeah uh, that's a missed opportunity you're right mm. But it's a missed opportunity in the sense that retroactively it's a missed opportunity. Yes, that's not actually... Because at the time, it was, that wasn't the plan. Yeah, that's and... not actually a criticism of this individual episode. Yeah. It's just the old shibbers, I'm going to be nice. I'm sure you had a lot of people to please. A lot of, lot of plates to spin. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, one thing I noticed is that in this episode, there is a lot of seeing through other people's eyes. Ooh. There are three that I can think of. In the cold open, you get to see from the monster's point of view as it lurches around the Bimaristan. Mm-hmm. And, and the screen shakes, the camera shakes as its heavy feet fall, which is interesting. Graham gets to see through Zendaya's eyes, sees the inside of the prison when she is infiltrating his headspace. Yeah, true. And then you've got the kid in the bedroom looking around and scanning back to Zelen. Interesting, yeah. And I think that that is because you are afraid of something when you can't get out of your own head. I think maybe that's where they were going with that. That's an interesting take. It seems too intentional to not be trying to mean something. So this was directed by Emma Sullivan, who... Oh, she directed the next episode, The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Mm-hmm. Well, she put her directorial stamp on this one. Certainly, yes. And the next one is great. The next one is great, as I recall. Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to see this developed a little more, perhaps, in the sense of once you're out of your own head, how do you get out of your own head even? How does Doc get out of her own head? Doc escapes her ear finger. Yeah. How does she do that? You know how she should have done that? Tell me. The finger should have filled up. Like, it should have started to shake. Like, the doctor's got 2,000 years of repressed rage and anger and sorrow and nightmares and everything. And the finger just explodes and (laughs) filth sprays all over everybody else. And this whole entire beautiful-looking set... It's just a, an absolute explosion, a supernova of filthy inky gunk. <laughs> That's what I wanted to happen. Like, even this... Zelin's finger couldn't handle the doctor's exactly. repressed shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, it, that would have been a good move. <laughs> <laughs> if that had been Capaldi, that would have happened instantly. Either that or we would have seen something very introspective. From from his point of view, he looks inward, or she look she would have looked inward, realized what was going on in some way. She would have resolved whatever nightmare she was being forced to confront, and in doing so, the finger would just have gone. Well, what am I going to do? It would just limply fall out of her <laughs> ear as an as an alternative to it exploding with gross gunk. You know what else they could have done? Here we go. Wherever Toby Jones is, whatever set he's on, <laughs> Toby Jones shows up. <laughs> We're inside the doctor's head. Hey, we're taking someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. Number four. Put a green screen behind him. He, he, need, he just needs to be inside the doctor's head. That's where he lives. He's part of the doctor's subconscious. Yeah. And he just pokes his finger towards the camera and goes, no, you don't. And it pops out of her ear. He's like, this is my domain. Like, bang. I love it. <laughs> love it. That's exactly how it should be. Yeah, no, please accept this Oscar for the best best adapted screenplay. (laughs) Very good. 
Yeah, a solid. Got anything else? How am I going to follow that? Oh. <laughs> well, all right, I'll follow it. All right. Sonia's line about how she got sacked from customer service. People are really annoying, and they hate being told that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really did enjoy this episode. I know we've dwelt on the Good. 8 to 12%, but yeah. this this was a highlight of the series for me so far. Absolutely. Set a aim. Want to put a number on that set at aim? Let's try. <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Okay, Podcast Land, I volunteered to go first this week. <laughs> Call it 2023 me. Kinder, more amenable. Yeah. I really enjoyed this one on first and second viewings. It may seem like damning with faint praise to credit the script for making characters talk like natural human beings for some of the time. But it happened often enough to provide that important, crucial grounding for all the other goings-on, which Praxius utterly lacked, despite shoehorning a framing device on that very subject. So you've got the interiority of the human mind, and you've got the big cosmic perspective on it as well, and it all worked together, and I liked it very much. Zelin and his marvellous musical moments are exactly the vibe my inner Nine Inch Nails fan has been craving. (laughs) (laughs) And never gifted on Doctor Who to date. Whenever he appeared, the atmosphere was so thick with grunge you could lick it as it slithered down the walls. Hot. Gorge on their fears. (laughs) (laughs) And Zelin's point and Doc's counterpoint about humans being the most pathetic, yet magnificent creatures in the universe also tweaked the nipples of my grandiosity. The cruelty of their own minds directed against themselves. Doubt and fear. Doctor, you were almost clever, but not quite clever enough. Ah, I used your instincts against you. Oh, I could just read out every line that he said. Yes, retro rewrites could have finessed this formula, but moment by moment, play by play, I thought this episode was involving, thought-provoking, creepy as balls. The production work, set design, music, directing, pretty much flawless. Just give us an hour 35 with that script, and we'll have this somewhere up near a 4.7. As it is, I'm happy to give it a 3.9. 3.9. Good thing I got in first. Okay, absolutely fantastic. Okay, I'm not sure how I'm going to follow that, but all right, here we go. So, Doc, you know what? We've talked about Doc. I'm just going to say, mostly great. Except for that one scene, I really enjoyed her. Companions, Graham, the Bradmeister. So good. So good. I love it. Great lines, by the way. Traveling helps me, stops me getting stuck in the past. Hard cut to the past. Love it. <laughs> Give me an A to Z of the galaxy and I don't know. What do I know? I know nothing about where we're... <laughs> really good. Yeah. Solid deliveries. Yaz, she, her backstory, fantastic. It's vague and perhaps unfulfilling in certain, certain parts. But it is interesting. I really enjoyed it. And her performance, solid. Ryan is fine whatevs I, I feel like he was just present he was Ryan in fact he has kind of checked out of the role anyway that's what he's at least he had an interesting friend he did yes exactly <laughs> and his friend his buddy T-Bird way more impressive than he was but ultimately what a life choice time travel and aliens are real but don't worry about it group therapy in some bloke's front room just as good <laughs> Tahira another character who should be recognized as a companion here yeah why didn't she get a post-credit sequence? Well, well not post-credit, post-ending ending. Why don't we get to see her and her therapist sharing a cell in a 14th century asylum? Because what are they going to do with their lives after this? Mmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. 
We don't even know what happens to them at the end of this. Yeah. The foe. Finally, an Eternal who feels worthy. And it's very possible that we will get another one very soon. <laughs> but wow. And I am referring in this case to Zelin, not Zendaya, because she isn't really given an opportunity to be anywhere even remotely as interesting as he is. But as you said, I'm not going to echo it. Oh, sorry, I will echo the sentiment, but I won't echo your words. You already put it very well. Fantastic, dude. The Eternals and the Guardians getting name-checked and contextualized as well, which is something I adore. And in, in fact, just like them, just like Zelen, much of this episode feels, isn't, but feels clever and maniacal. <laughs> the sci-fi is solid. The production value is off the chart. It's dark, it's twisted, it's creepy. I also wasn't sure how I'd feel about the animation, but... Actually, you know what? I think it's pretty cool that they tried something new here, and it sort of worked. The only strange thing about it was that it didn't fit into the look and feel of the entire rest of the episodes. Like, why was there not any brand cohesion there? For example, when we get to see her in the... Well, Zendaya in the Sphere prison... Yes. Why not overlay some tastefully hand-drawn animations of nightmares that she's experiencing. Just so that we know that this is part of how they visualize things. Mm -hmm. And then when she shoots her visualization, or maybe he, I can't remember, one of them fires their visualization into Doc's brain, that's what it looks like. Now it's contextualized and I understand. Right, they think in cartoons. Dumb, but fine. And it works. Also, it looked really nice. Greatest asset, creep factor, biggest flaw, the ending. It is so underwhelming. It is too sudden. It, they basically rushed past the baddies having the upper hand, which is kind of the most interesting part of stories like these, in order to make room for a schmaltzy post-ending ending. There is so much else they could have done, by the way. For example, how great would it have been if Doc had shown up at the height of Act 3 with Mars or Saturn on a leash and just smashed it into the Earth? Boning mankind, sure, but trapping Zelen and his friend between them at the same time. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> So, in conclusion, great episode, weak ending. It's finger-licking good, but <laughs> had it not been for the ending and maybe that really awkward scene with the doc, it could have been finger-licking great. And I've given this 3.8. Oh, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Your heart is slightly bigger than mine. <laughs> so those are our opinions. Uh-huh. What sayest thou we listen to Podcast Lands? Let's gorge on Podcast Lands reviews. <laughs> Let's. This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Carblamatron Podcast Land, and welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. As you well know, we only read three listener minis in their full splendor nowadays. <sighs> so, good thing we only received three this time. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Who's first? First up, it's Kieran Evans. Hello, Kieran. Sup, Kieran? Kieran says, hi, folks. Ooh, cold open. <laughs> so, continues Kieran, in an abrupt tonal shift, this is kind of annoying in a way. <laughs> As there's lots to like, but it just doesn't quite chill. Oh, well. Ian Gelder has a wonderfully creepy voice, doesn't he just? And Zelin seems like a good villain, outthinking the Doctor into releasing his partner. Shame the story wraps up that plot thread so rapidly. True, true. And whilst the stuff with Yaz is interesting, and it's the stuff we needed to have a while ago, it makes the ending overly long and flabby. Yep. This is what I was trying to remember to say during your review. I am just grateful that we get this at all, because mm. after three years, we've seen so little of Yaz. I don't almost don't care where this ended up. However much it distended the episode, at least we got it. Fair because point. without yeah. it, what is she? 
It's an almost 50-minute app, continues Kieran. It probably should have been 45. I know the show had moved to 50-minute apps, but please use that extra five minutes elsewhere. More time exploring the space station. More time for Zelin versus Doctor. More time with Zelin and Rakaia menacing the kids. More time such that the ending doesn't feel rushed. I can't argue with any of that. That's right, yeah. Kieran continues, striking visuals. The fingers are particularly memorable. And then we have the story time explanation. Interesting how Rakaia narrates it in the third person, despite being the one imprisoned. Oh, yeah. Aleppo seems to be a slightly random choice for the past location. Like, does it add anything in particular? I'm not sure it really does, other than it not being in the UK for a change. I think Michael would call it smug location work. (laughs) (laughs) Frustrating for me, says Kieran, as I want to like it more with the creepy atmosphere a lot of it has. But alas, 3.0 out of 5 planet colliding prisons. Fair and balanced, Kieran. Yeah, that's a solid mini and a completely fair rating. People who are not Kieran, what should they do? They should consider electric automotive technology and follow him at KJ Evans too. For all your Evan needs. That's right. Thanks, Kieran. Who's next? Why it's Daniel, Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley, Daniel McGinley. Hello, Daniel. What's up, Daniel McGinley? Daniel McGinn's Can You Hear Me? Yes. Yes. Carry on. I certainly can, because (laughs) hearing is key to this episode. Once again, it's exposition, exposition, exposition. What was that second one? (laughs) (laughs) Be it explaining what's already shown on screen, or going to the trouble of having a minute-long kiddies educational infomercial, rather than do like proper writing it could easily be an audio adventure the thrown together insipid on-screen action doesn't add a whole lot to the viewing experience very interesting Mm. daniel continues considering their nature the immortals hinted at being interesting but they just weren't fleshed out i wanted to find out a bit more or see some depth but it never came. The mention of the toy maker, Guardians, and the Eternals serve to remind how much better this idea has been done before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting point. Compare with Amy's choice where the Dream Lord and the Dilemma were really interesting. Where are the stakes? No one seems particularly worried and things just meander along, not really going anywhere. Were we supposed to care about the side characters? It didn't come across that way. Once again, the chill-out music doesn't scream DANGER! Another element designed to send one to sleep. Why were we in Aleppo again? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) This story, concludes Daniel, would have got a low score for being so dull, but it plummets even further due to the final scene with Graham. Absolute travesty, says Daniel. The Doctor wouldn't behave in that way to a companion, even Capaldi. I get the socially awkward part of the character, but it's so out of place and misjudged. Then make jokes about Frankenstein. Disgraceful. And Daniel gives this a rating of 1.8 out of 5. Yeah. You know what? I can't argue with that. No. (laughs) If you're not born along on the charisma of Ian Gelder's creepy close-ups... Mm, yeah, everything else just like... Falls apart. Yeah, a grab bag of nonsense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. I want to know more about what Daniel's up to. How can I find out? You can find out what he's up to, what he thinks, what he chooses to share of himself online on Twitter at Daniel J. McGinley. And on Insta at planet underscore of underscore giants. <laughs> <laughs> 
you so much, Daniel. Thank you very much. Who's last? Why, last up, it's Michael. Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Love you, Michael. Ooh, how's that going to fit? <laughs> Wait, that could keep two planets apart. Right, Michael begins with just a huge single list of bullet points. First up, 14th century Aleppo looking more structurally intact than it does today. Next, these monsters are going to be awesome. Next, these monsters suck donkey balls. Damn you, CGI. What's wrong with just having a bloke in a big rubber suit now and again? Agreed. Next, I would slam the door in the face of Ryan's stupid impression. Chips or no chips? (laughs) Big like. Attack of the flying fingers. I watched that. Next, cheeky <laughs> reference to the Celestial Toy Maker, my dad's favorite episode. We need to get your dad on the show, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Next, yet another cameo paycheck for Grace. Not bad for a character that died in her first episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah well done. <laughs> this is basically the plot of the BFG. Is it? Let's unpack that. I don't remember. You got Sophie stolen away by the BFG. There are worse giants out there. I'm not getting it. Usually we're so simpatico, me and Mike. (laughs) I just don't know the BFG well enough. Next up. Ah, the old use the doctor to release an evil god trick. Next up. Ah, the old collide two planets to trap an evil god trick. Mm, Brought here together for the first time. This is basically the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Let's unpack that. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it. Okay, great. (laughs) Next up. Last up. How did this end? Those seemed pretty powerful baddies. The Doctor used the force on her sonic screwdriver, and then that was that? Uh, she sent them to sleep as well. But it happened so quickly, the fingers just shoot in from the sides. You have to look carefully to spot it. Yeah, it's pants. Uh, it is pants. It's really pants. What does Michael rate this at? Michael rates this a very Kieran-esque three out of five sleepers, presumably a maximum of ten, having yucky nightmare fingers jammed in their ears. Ooh. Now, <laughs> there was a whole console room full of fingers. The whole <laughs> finger section is brilliant. He's got infinite fingers. Yeah, that's true. People talk about what would you have as your superpower? Invisibility, flight. Infinite fingers. Infinite fingers is actually pretty high <laughs> up there. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, fantastic mini. Thank you very much. People who are not Michael ought to do themselves a favour. Improve your lives, podcast land. And follow Michael online. He can be found at... Bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. (laughs) The best favour you can do for yourself today, podcast land. Follow that man. Make this your New Year's resolution. Love you, Michael. So big. (laughs) That's not a finger. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michael. In fact, thank you so much, everyone who wrote in for this episode. On short notice, some of you. Very short notice. And thank you, everyone who listened to us as well. Indeed, is still listening. That concludes our Can You Hear Me soiree, Drew. But you will be very glad to know this is not the end of Doctor Who, nor is it the end of Who Back When. No, we have more listening in store for you, Podcast Land. What's next, Drew? Take those fingers out of your ears and hear a classic review of Time and the Rani. Ooh, fantastic. After which we're back in New Who territory with The Haunting of Villa Diodati. In the audio channel, at some point, it'll be Doctor Who redacted. And in the bonus channel, it's Are You Not Entertained? (laughs) Just watch this space, Podcast Land. Something's coming up. (laughs) Apparently our review of Gladiator (laughs) 2. 
in the meantime, you can say hello to us online as well. Drew, you are available where? At Drew Back When on Twitter. My goodness. I just felt some heart palpitations. The branding. Oh, okay. So good. Not the post-COVID syndrome. No. <laughs> I just wanted to make certain. <laughs> that was a very cool, calm way of saying, take me to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> You can say hello to me online as well. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, where I am exceptionally active. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a New Year's resolution? Is that real? Nope. I can't trust a thing you say. <laughs> <laughs> but you can communicate with us at Who Back When as well. Until the next time, Podcast Land, thank you so much for listening. You have been wonderful as always. Be rad and excellent to one another. Rock on and cha-chao. Sleep tight. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?